love them, you hate them, and you can't stop talking about them. Announcers, analysts, pundits, they're all fair game. It's Sports Media Mayhem with Alex Reamer. Time to let it rip. All right, welcome back to the show. It's a Sports Media Mayhem podcast, as I was saying in the open. One of our two guests today, Daniel Wallach, Wallach Legal, on Twitter, covers the sports gaming industry, sports betting, sports law. Dan, welcome to the show. How are you? Alex, thanks for having me on. I think we have uh, we go all the way back to Deflategate, don't we? We do. It's been a yeah, while. We've got seven years uh, in the books, so I'm glad you haven't forgotten about me. No, it's good to finally uh, put a face to the name, as they say. Um, any new Deflategate updates while we're at it? You know, it's only, what, like seven years ago, eight years ago? So. <laughs> uh, I, I think the uh, I think Tom Brady has altered the narrative of that story, right? When we look back at his career, Deflategate is going to be pushed far down the right. list. But back in 2015, 2016, it had the ability to basically be his uh, his epitaph, right? The thing you know you know most about Tom Brady. Instead, uh, we know him playing into the in, into his middle to late 40s. Giselle, uh, now all with the Super Bowls, Bowls, all the Super Bowls, the comeback against Atlanta, and now cryptocurrency promotion. Right. So, Right. Um, you, you know, I, I, I don't even know if Deflategate makes the cut no. in his life story. No, he's but- won four Super Bowls since then. And it's amazing that at the time, a lot of people said, I probably said it too, oh, Deflategate will be first or second paragraph of the Tom Brady, you know, uh, narrative. Now, as you said, doesn't mm-hmm. I don't think it even makes the cut, at least for the top half of it. That is pretty well, crazy. It will make the first or second paragraph in my like sort of life story ascension into the world of sports law because no one really knew too much about me until, you know, I began to weigh in on those topics. So uh, Deflategate actually uh, spawned the Conduct Detrimental uh, podcast that I do, and we named it after Conduct Detrimental in Article 46 of the CBA. And the reason it was a big deal to us at the time was because of our coverage. Dan Worley and I had extensively covered uh, you know, the, the court proceedings around Deflategate and Article 46 and def- and Conduct Detrimental were really at the sort of the, the crux of that legal dispute and whether his conduct constituted Conduct de- Detrimental to the welfare and integrity of the game of football. And that's a concept that continues to, uh, you know, ha- have life in all these subsequent controversies, whether it's Dan Snyder, uh, anything involving uh, discipline under the NFL yeah. Constitution, bylaws, or CBA, uh, you know, the, 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 the violation is, is inevitably of the conduct detrimental clause. So tempting to go down that road. I'll try not to, but it's amazing that slightly deflated footballs and Daniel Snyder in an environment of sexual harassment can kind of be uh, legislated under the same, the same article. But that is, that's amazing. It, that's the NFL for you. It, it, it really reveals the flaw and the vagueness in so many of the NFL's, you know, policies, because right. they try to shoehorn everything under this broad-based notion that, you know, it's not a violation of a specific, you know, conduct. It's general conduct. Right. That, in the view of the commissioner, is conduct detrimental to the league. Basically, it's anything that the commissioner doesn't like or is right is harmful to the game of football is conduct detrimental to the game of football. Whether it's, you know, sexual assault. Uh, toxic workplace environment, um, uh, deflating uh, a football to allegedly gain an advantage in, in a game. And so much of it falls under that that umbrella. 
that you know it, it begins to look like this vague and, and, and ambiguous um, you know guideline that no one really knows what it means except for the commissioner who determines uh, you know under the under the facts that he considers whether something is conduct detrimental. There's no there's no real objective behavior by which you know owners, players, or, or other personnel within the NFL can guide their conduct because who knows what it even means. Right. Exactly. And speaking of vague and a little bit ambiguous, uh, all this Barstool stuff and the Massachusetts Gaming Commission, I think for a lot of people, it's kind of hard to grasp what I was saying before you got on. So you've been covering this story here and a lot of the news around it. Um, so basically, there was a hearing yesterday, the Massachusetts Gaming, uh, Massachusetts Gaming Commission, um, determining whether Penn National can get a, a, a sports betting license in Massachusetts because they uh, operate the Plain Ridge park and casino um so yeah just tell the people what are the commission's concerns what is this exactly about and what was decided at the hearing this week well there are two license applications in play here uh you know massachusetts legalized both in-person and internet betting right uh last july so penn national has the um opportunity based upon how this law is written to have both retail sports betting, in-person sports betting at the Plain Ridge Park Casino. But casinos in Massachusetts also have the right to offer uh, internet sports wagering through, I, I believe, up to two branded websites. And one of one of uh, Plain Ridge Park's branded websites is Penn Sports Interactive, otherwise known as Barstool Sportsbook. And so the license applications are both for the digital sports book as well as the retail license for the Plain Ridge Park Casino. And the only one being considered yesterday was the retail sports book license for Plain Ridge Park Casino, which is utilizing the branding inside their casino of a Barstool sports book. Okay. And that's how Barstool entered into the uh, conversation yesterday. Uh, the three of the five commissioners. Uh, and and this was this was teed up two weeks ago during a December 6th hearing. The Massachusetts Gaming Commission, which is a five member body, has the discretion to determine who should be licensed or more importantly, whether a, a proposed applicant is suitable to get a gaming license. And, you know, the reason why the gaming industry is so closely and tightly regulated is that way back when in the. 40s, 50s, and 60s, who who infiltrated the ga- gambling industry is organized crime. Right. So over the last 50, 60 years, uh, states and, and, and the regulatory bodies in those states have crafted guidelines to ensure that not only is the legal gambling industry free of any criminal influences, but only that companies and people of the highest integrity can get licensed uh, for for gaming license. And the question that came up during yesterday's hearing, and by the way, the final result of it was that the Plain Ridge Park Casino is going to, is going to get a temporary sports book license for one year instead of a instead of a durable five year sports betting license because the gaming commission is concerned about the influence of its marketing partner, the Barstool, Barstool Sports brand. I'm not talking about the Barstool Sports book. Uh, but but uh, Penn National owns not only the Plain Ridge Park Casino, Penn Sports Interactive, which is the Barstool Sportsbook, but they also own or will wholly own the media company 100 percent 
uh, by February of 2023. Right. And the and three of the five commissioners, which constitute a majority, uh, and, and and the commissioners in particular that were insistent that barstool sports fall under the licensing umbrella, were Commissioner or Chairwoman Kathy Judd Stein, Commissioner Skinner. Commissioner Ellen O'Brien, three of the five commissioners had a lot to say about the influence and branding of the Barstool sports brand inside the casino and were uncomfortable giving an unqualified, unequivocal, durable gambling or sports betting license to Plainridge Park unless they could also investigate and qualify Barstool Sports as almost like a, a subsidiary of the applicant. So Barstool Sports was deemed to be a qualifier, an entity to be qualified just as if that they were just as if they were the licensed entity offering sports betting. So the company yeah. that is known for, you know, pushing the envelope for its irreverence and for its cutting edge humor which can be interpreted, you know, two ways, you know, some might think it's not the most responsible way of promoting gambling. Others may think it's tongue in cheek and just simply irrelevant or irreverent. There's also the issue of, you know, the, 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 the massage, the allegations of misogyny, uh, the, the sexual, uh, sexual, you know, allegations, all of that is going to come into play. So today, so going forward, it's not just the, the casino that's going to go undergo this suitability review. It's Barstool Sports itself. Right. And if the Gaming Commission determines that Barstool Sports is suitable as a, as a qualifier, then it's all systems go. Penn National, Plain Ridge Park Casino, Penn Sports Interactive, they're going to have no issues and they'll have their sports betting licenses. But on the other hand, if the commission following a very detailed investigation based on uh, criteria that I'm going to discuss in a moment determines that Barstool Sports is not a suitable qualifier, then that raises the issue of whether the Plain Ridge Park license application that's temporarily issued will be denied and then they'll have to stop sports betting, which I don't think is going to happen. Or alternatively, the Gaming Commission can require some kind of disassociation or at least distancing of Barstool from the Penn National brand, at least insofar as it relates to Massachusetts and or could attach probationary type conditions as well. Right. Yeah. So I'll ask you about the qualifications in a second, but just so I get it clear, Penn's argument is, and I'm also reading from New York Times story about this a couple weeks ago, 12 of the 13 states in which the Barstool Sportsbook operates have not licensed Mr. Portnoy. In fact, because Penn has argued that he was not involved in running the betting platform. So Penn doesn't want Dave Portnoy to be part of any sort of review, right? Because they say that he is not involved in running the actual betting part of their business. Is that correct? That's technically correct. Okay. But that's not the limit or extent of the Gaming Commission's power. Yeah, sure, sure. You know, generally speaking, uh, the Gaming Commission has the right, and it's automatic that officers of the company inside directors, anybody who owns 10% or more of the stock of the company, they all have to undergo suitability review. Sure. But there's also other language that I think Penn's CEO has overlooked, 
and maybe didn't get enough of an airing yesterday, but there's a catch-all provision that basically says that the commission in its sole discretion can require other persons or entities that have a business association of any kind with the applicant to undergo a qualifier review and determination process. So they can call forward, the Gaming Commission can call forward anybody that they believe in its vast unfettered discretion has the type of business relationship with the license applicant that merits suitability review. And you can't, you can't credibly argue that the legal distinction between Barstool Sports and Penn National slash Plainridge Park is such a such a, a vast divide that one doesn't influence the other. I mean, let's face it, Barstool Sports is you know a, a, a marketing agent, a promoter right. of the Barstool sport, Sportsbook brand. There's no question about it. Sure. And, and of course, uh, uh, the CEO of Penn National said, "Well, you know, then if we're gonna if we're gonna scrutinize." The marketing affiliate of Penn National, we got to look at everybody's marketing affiliates and not just Barstool, but Barstool is the only one that has engendered the type of controversy that has gotten on the radar of the of the Massachusetts Gaming Commission. And I didn't hear Jay Snowden identify any other marketing affiliates yeah. by name that should be concerning to the Massachusetts Gaming Commission. And this issue came up back in 2021 when Commissioner O'Brien uh, before there was ever sports betting being legalized in Massachusetts, expressed her reservations about the Plainridge Park Casino slapping the Barstool Sportsbook branding and logo on their sort of you know, licensing materials and maybe even within the casino. So it's an issue that predates the New York Times subject because it's not just one of responsible or, or irresponsible gaming. It's also a branding issue. And the branding is connected to a company that is that has been, you know, controversial. I mean, on, on, you know, um, you know, without without any you know, debate about whether they've been controversial. The question right. is, uh, right. is the gaming going too far, being too puritanical in creating a um, uh, or, or, or insisting on an investigation of a company that pushes the envelope? It, it, it really is within their discretion. The fact that Barstool has been licensed in 13 jurisdictions is of no moment to Massachusetts. Not all states do things exactly the same. And unfortunately for Barstool, the timing of the New York Times article, as well as the increased scrutiny being placed upon Barstool, has placed the issue right. of Barstool Sports' suitability uh, you know, front and center in a way that it may not have been uh, uh, you know, elevated previously. And, and this gaming commission, and I know Commissioner Judd Stein, you know, relatively well. I've I've been on panels with her, and I am familiar with her style. She's a major uh, proponent, and she and I've said this on my podcast. She walks the walk and talks the talk on the issue of responsible gaming. She's 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 proposed, or at least has hinted in the past, at wanting. Uh, uh, a whistle-to-whistle -whistle advertising ban on sports books, on television, on televised games, stream games, limiting the types of sports book ads that can be placed inside the arena during live sporting events. She has made, and her gaming commission, even predating her, has placed a a real priority on the issue of responsible gaming, and it's not just paying lip service to it. Right. 
Um, and so, and a lot of states, as you mentioned, have not exactly followed that as a big New York Times expose pointed out with a lot of sports books advertising on college campuses and whatnot. Um, so temporary oh, licenses, go ahead. By the way, by the way, it, and it also didn't help Barstool Sports that they were just fined, or at least the Barstool Sports book was fined in Ohio because Barstool Sports held an on-campus event right. at the University of Toledo in which... Um, I guess a sizable posh portion of the live audience and internet audience may have been under the age of 21. And there may have been some efforts to uh, promote the Barstool Sportsbook, including but not limited to encouraging signups. So the Ohio Casino Control Commission only a week ago fined Barstool or at least indicated the intent to find Barstool $250,000 because of their uh, promotion of, you know, gambling targeted to people under the age of 21 and in, and in every state's gaming regulations, if you have, if you have licensing violations in other states, that's going to bear on your suitability in other states as well. And, and that's why it came up. It was the imperfect storm for Barstool, you know, not only the New York Times article, but the Ohio violation, uh, some other reported incidents at the University of Tennessee involving an alleged $100,000 bet by Dave Portnoy. Right. And of course, the Barstool's own, you know, you know, the history uh, is fair game. And those factors combined with a very uh, pro-responsible gaming gambling commission really made Massachusetts the test case, hmm. the suitability of the Barstool brand. Yeah, so that leads to what I wanted to end on here. Um, so temporary licenses granted to Penn National in Massachusetts. So what happens over the next year. And as you mentioned, do you think that what happens here in Massachusetts could set the tone nationally with how these licenses with Penn National and its relationship with Barstool are scrutinized? Uh, that, that, that's, a, that's an interesting question because um, most of the states have already enacted sports betting laws, 36 states. So right. there aren't going to be too many new states that address this issue based on what the Massachusetts Gaming Commission has done. And we don't know what they're going to ultimately do. This, this is going to be preceded by an investigation, a, a very detailed probing investigation conducted by the Gaming Commission's Investigations and Enforcement Bureau. That's a, uh, a process by which, you know, uh, deeply probing, you know, going back, in interviewing people, getting records going back, you know, 20 years. It's a very intense level of scrutiny. So this may take a little bit of a while to play out to get a resolution as to what the Gaming Commission may or may not do here. But it may have a carryover effect, even in other states where Barstool Sportsbook and Penn National are licensed because sports betting licenses are only good or valid for a specific duration. Could be right. one years, two years, five years. And if you are considered to be not a suitable licensee in one state, or as we saw with Ohio, the Barstool Sportsbook brand has been assessed a fine based upon a violation of the, the, the gaming laws, you've got to report it to those other jurisdictions and those other jurisdictions can take that into account when deciding whether or not to renew a company's sports betting or, or gaming license in, in the area of casino gambling. There's Bar uh, Penn, Penn entertainment owns casinos in, you know, over 10 States. Right. So this decision um, has the possibility of impairing Penn entertainment's 
licensability or relicensability in other jurisdictions. Do I think that's going to happen? Probably not. Penn, Penn Entertainment has a an excellent reputation. They have a, a I mean, I mean, they're one of the they are the top regional casino operator in the United States. A very respected company, strong compliance team, but they made a they made an investment. They wanted to sort of uh, um, partner or acquire a company that would deliver the type of market share that would allow them to compete with the behemoths right. of online sports betting, such as DraftKings and FanDuel. I don't think Penn National would have been able to compete uh, just through marketing promos, but by acquiring a company that has the kind of outreach to totally. the demographic that Penn National is seeking, it could have potentially placed Penn National, you know, in parity with with FanDuel, DraftKings, right. and, and 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 Fanatics will eventually, you know, join the ranks of those you know companies at the top of the right. heap. And 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 that was a that that was a strategic investment that Penn National made, but it carries with it this risk some risks yes. risks that things could go sideways based on new developments, new controversies. Right. And even in the absence of those controversies and developments, just the history right. that, could, that could come up as a possible, uh, you know, con as a possible item that could negate or prevent right. licensability based upon the association with Barstool. Because once Barstool Sports becomes a qualifier and has to submit to suitability review, uh, they don't have the same type of compliance that gaming operators do. This is a media brand that is a lot more uh, off the cuff, uh, doesn't have, doesn't have, you know, the need to even comply with gambling laws. So the history of Barstool predating the Penn national acquisition also becomes part of the calculus, but since Penn national took over and acquired a significant amount of the, the company, I, I, I would imagine that there've been protocols and guardrails put in place. And if, if Penn national is able to demonstrate that, uh, I, I believe that the, ultimate result here could be further conditions, further separation between Barstool and, and Penn National. But ultimately, I think the, I think the license gets approved and Barstool is deemed, I, I don't want to make any predictions here because three of the five commissioners were not on Barstool's side yesterday. And who knows what the IEB investigation could turn up. I mean, look at some of these criteria Integrity, honesty, good character, and reputation. Mm -hmm. Financial stability. Yeah, financial stability and integrity. History of compliance. Uh, whether you've been a defendant in litigation, uh, convicted of a crime, issues with other states. There, there's enough discretion and factual issues out there where it, it would be a fool's errand to try to predict the outcome of this IEB investigation. But depending on, on what it turns up, uh, it's quite possible in an extreme situation that bars that 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 Plainridge Park and Penn Sports Interactive may not be eligible or may not get licensed for sports betting. More realistically, even if there was any adverse uh, conclusions drawn about Barstool Sports, I think it could attach conditions and guardrails, probationary type conditions to ensure that there are no future violations within the Commonwealth. So uh, I, I think this is going to be very painful uh, for Penn National and Barstool, but ultimately uh, I, I believe the brand or the Barstool branded sportsbook 
uh, will be part of the ecosystem in, in Massachusetts, but I offer no guarantees. Daniel, always a great job of breaking down these complex legal issues in digestible terms. Thanks for the time. Before you go, though, how can the people find your podcast, Conduct Detrimental? Well, they can find it on all the usual places you find podcasts. Apple, Spotify are the two most obvious ones. Conduct Detrimental, just think of the term in Article 46. Love it. On Twitter, it's Con Detrimental, or just go to my Twitter handle and you could find it, Wallach Legal on Twitter, as long as Twitter remains in business. Or you can go to my co-host's Twitter account, which is Sports Law Lust. So you have two easy to remember uh, you know, Twitter handles, Wallach Legal, Sports Law Lust. We do about two episodes per week. Uh, we've got some sponsors and we hit on all the major topics of the day that involve the intersection of law and sports. And, and coincidentally, we just in our most recent episode, we previewed the Massachusetts Gaming Commission uh, licensing hearing. Perfect. Well, luckily, uh, Czar Elon has ruled that you can tweet out uh, outside links on Twitter once again. So you got you can do no problem. You can push the podcast on there. Uh, Daniel, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. My, my pleasure, Alex. Uh, take care. And uh, always, always a pleasure to talk to you. It's been a few years. Have me back anytime you want. I'll, I'll always be happy to do